So today we're we're talking about ghosts and hauntings in in Grand Rapids, and there are a lot of rumors and stories, and we're just going to talk about a few of them. Um, it's a little spooky if if you have kids that you don't want to ex- expose to spook. Maybe this isn't the the podcast for you, but if you do have kids and you don't mind them being exposed to spook, this is definitely the one. It is Halloween today. H- Happy Halloween to, to both of you. Yeah, we have uh, quite a few ghost stories that we're going to tell. We're going to go back and forth and um, hopefully spook your socks off today. Yeah, it's there's some spooky stuff for sure. We have a number of different sources that we used to put this list together, and it's certainly not exhaustive. There's a lot of information out there. All of it's really interesting. We certainly won't capture it all in one episode. So um, we're just going to touch on some highlights. And uh, what do you think, Matt? You want to start us off with some some ancient history, and we'll work our way to to the 1800s and go from there? Yeah, so... um... One of our sources is uh, a book um, titled Ghosts of Grand Rapids, and, and they start um, uh, thousands of years ago, uh, 10,000 years ago uh, to be exact, um, with the uh, Mound Builder Indians. Um, they were kind of in the Midwest uh, area, so Michigan, Wisconsin, um, uh, northern Indiana, um, and they came to Grand Rapids about uh, 2,500 years ago um, and settled uh, by the Grand River. And they uh, called uh, that future site of Grand Rapids the Haunted Valley of the Grand. So it already kind of had a spooky um, aspect to it. They cited um, stories where individuals or uh, entire hunting parties would uh, vanish. Um, uh, These hunting parties uh, of uh, the Native Americans would would go off and and they would never come back. Uh, The first permanent residence um, was Isaac McCoy, and he came in 1825. And and after that... um, more more people started started coming. Um, there was uh, Father Barriga, and then of course Louis Campau and Lucius Lyon. Um, but yeah, so so even in those early days, the area was kind of uh, kind of a spooky place. The haunted Valley of the Grand. That is that is not what you're going to put on your sign as folks come <laughs> into your town. But apparently, entire hunting parties would just vanish and never be seen again. That's that's creepy. That's a good way to start. Yeah, definitely. Um, and those mounds are still. This isn't really spooky, I guess. Those mounds, the original ones, the only ones left, are um, along the freeway. Correct. Yeah, yeah. They're. Um, I, I think I think we we had mentioned them earlier. They're called called the, or I guess titled the Converse mounds, um, and they uh, are. Um, kind of in between the highway and um, the Grand River. Yep, in the southwest part of the city. Definitely overgrown. Um, definitely in need of some attention. And uh, and there's some oil 
oil well drilling or oil well pumping rather happening uh, pretty close to them, but they're yeah. they're still there, um, and hopefully we can can take a little better care of them in the future here. Yeah. So, uh, uh, who wants to start? Who wants to start with a spooky story? If we want to jump into a haunted gas station. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is a story that I got from Grand Rapids Urban Legends WordPress dot com. And the address, um, if you want to check it out yourself, but please don't uh, please don't enter abandoned buildings. Um, Eight fifty seven Wealthy Street. Uh, it is the gas station on the corner of Wealthy and Eureka. It's yellow. I'm sure you've both driven past it a few times. It's very abandoned. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. I've I've seen this space <laughs> awesome. a number of times, and I've heard some rumors. I, I'm looking forward to the real uh, the real scoop. All right, here we go. Many years ago, in the 1930s, there was a very poor boy who lived in the neighborhood with his grandmother. The boy had been born in America, although, like many of the people in that neighborhood at the time, his grandmother was an immigrant from Italy. It's said that he was a strange child, quiet, always playing alone, but a kind child, too. He loved handsome and beautiful things, and although he was of an average appearance, he dreamed of becoming handsome and beautiful himself someday. While he was still young, the boy became interested in nail polish. The boy had noticed women in the neighborhood wearing different shades of nail polish, and he thought it was handsome, and he thought it was beautiful. The boy lived across the street from the gas station, which was a booming business at the time, and the boy liked to play behind the gas station in an empty lot of weeds and butterflies. While he was back there one day, the boy noticed that the gas station sold touch-up paint for cars, and he quietly thought to himself, I could use that on my nails. Um... In fact, it says most modern nail polish had been adapted from a paint developed for cars, so his thoughts weren't really that strange. Uh, his heart was beating fast. The boy stole a half-empty can of paint from the trash behind the gas station, and from then on, the boy would paint his nails with the paint a bright red color. Although the boy's grandmother didn't complain, the men in the neighborhood mocked the boy for wearing nail polish, sneered at him, shouted at him. And of course, even today, there are places where a boy might get attacked for wearing nail polish. But at the time, people were even more intolerant of such things. The boy was torn because he wanted to be handsome and he wanted to be beautiful, but he was afraid of the men. Although he continued to paint his nails, he walked around everywhere with a sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. And one day, while the boy was playing in the empty lot behind the gas station, he was attacked by a gang of boys with sticks and rocks. He tried to run, but the gang caught him and beat him. Supposedly, the other boys only meant to hurt him, but the boy was delicate, and the boy was killed. The story doesn't end there. The boy's grandmother, who was said to be a witch, who as a girl had sacrificed goats to demons back on the island of Sicily, was deeply distraught over the loss of the child. Her wails could be heard throughout the neighborhood all that night, which was when the other people in the neighborhood began to fear that something even more terrible might occur. And it's said that although she could not bring the boy back to life, she made a pact with a demon, promising the demon her own soul in exchange for the boy's. The boy's grandmother died that night, and the demon kept its promise, bringing the boy back to the world of the living in the form of a ghost. To this day, the boy haunts the neighborhood, most often to be found at the abandoned gas station, where he sometimes can be seen talking with stray dogs or standing, staring up at the stars. Though if approached, the boy will seem to vanish. 
and it's said that being a ghost gives the boy certain powers. He can influence, can slightly shift how something appears. If you leave a bottle of nail polish at the gas station for him as a gift, he'll be pleased with you, and he'll use his powers to improve your appearance. You might even feel the change come over you before you're back home. He doesn't change how you look, he changes how you're seen. Forever after, you'll appear slightly more handsome, you'll appear slightly more beautiful than ever before. To others, you'll seem to have a type of glow, an almost irresistible charm. But visitors should be warned. There's a rumor that the boy hates to receive the same color twice in a row, and that he won't use his powers on you if you give him a color he already has. For that reason, believers mark the gas station with a streak of nail polish before leaving nail polish there to warn other visitors what colors have come before. Um, and then a note from the author says, everybody at my school went there to leave a bottle of nail polish at some point. Um, and that they did not notice a major difference in their appearance, but maybe the boy already had that color. <laughs> um, there was another kid at my school, though, super nerdy, a total wallflower who everybody used to make fun of, had no friends. And then one summer, this kid totally transformed, came back to school, dropped dead gorgeous, ended up being super popular, homecoming king. And he claimed that the summer he transformed, he'd been to the gas station to leave a bottle of nail polish. And he'd actually seen the ghost while he was there. Wow. Um, and it seemed to work for him. Um. So, yeah, there's some photos on this website of the gas station and the nail polish marks on the side of the building. That's yeah, cool. It, it kind of makes sense that maybe the two kindred spirits, you know, connected there. And he's like, you know what? You're not here uh, to be a jerk. I empathize with you. Here's uh, Here's some magic. Yeah, for sure. That's pretty wild. That's a really good one. Yeah. I've I've heard parts and pieces of that, but never the whole thing. That's um, you don't mess with voodoo. That's one thing I learned. Yeah. Well, I'm curious now that I hadn't read that in a while, but it said that the grandmother made a deal with a demon, and I have been binge watching Supernatural lately, and I know <laughs> that to make the to make a deal with a demon, you have to do it at a crossroads. So I'm curious if there were any dirt roads around there that she maybe dug up and left a photo of herself in there yeah the legend continues mm-hmm. that was a good one matt do you have one or you want me to yeah yeah i've got um have either of you been on uh, aquinas college's campus uh no i have not i have but i i just threw a few buildings it there's there's a really old building um home dean manor and it was where edward lowe lived um with his wife and his wife was the sister to John Blodgett uh, of Blodgett Hospital um, and the Blodgett Mansion. Uh, well, both the Blodgett Mansion and Home Dean Manor are, I have a source here from Rapid Growth Media um, where they write that the original owner's um, son had apparently drowned in the garden pool while he was young. And uh, students, uh, this is this is where a lot of the uh, um, prof- uh, professors have their offices. So students have to go in there, and they're already pretty scared to go to a, uh, a professor's office. <laughs> and so they've they've said that they've heard children laughing, uh, the lights flickering, faucets running on their own. Um, 
and uh, a lot of people have said that they've seen uh, a child in the windows of the building. Um, the school uh, in in 2015, I don't know if it was uh, a official school business, but uh, apparently a demonologist came to the campus in uh, or in 2005, and he visited the the manor, and uh, so they say confirmed the presence of the uh, the spirit. Whoa, that is spooky. Yeah, uh, we don't have any updates since 2005 that we're aware of is that correct yeah yeah i haven't i didn't come across anything well i that you based... went to a... go ahead well i i didn't see anything <laughs> uh, so you've never had a a, a par what you would call a paranormal experience no not i mean not at aquinas not at aquinas gotcha all right um i've got a few and i and i think that i'm gonna start with the Judd White House and the Wooden Leg Murder of 1907. Ooh. That so so it, it's a crazy story. Some of it's true. Some of it's not. We'll, we'll have it all wrapped up at the end, hopefully. <laughs> um, so the, the Judd White House was on the northeast corner of Fountain Street and Division. And uh, it was a, just a house. And, and they had some some rentals, as many of those houses did at the time. Uh, so here's the legend, and we'll kind of get to the truth of the legend towards the end. So we're just going to start with the legend and work our way down. Um, so a gentleman by the name of Warren Randall and his wife, Virginia, uh, moved to Grand Rapids from Detroit. He worked as a brakeman on the Grand Rapids and Indiana Railroad. Uh and that railroad went up to Mackinac City, down through Petoskey, Big Rapids, Cedar Springs, and then into Indiana. And uh, I didn't really track where it went into Indiana because it doesn't particularly matter. Um, the couple was married. They were married for, for about three years, and it, they were not blissful years. There was no marital harmony. This, these were tough years. Uh, Warren was convinced his wife, Virginia, was cheating on him. Um in, in August of 1910, they separated after threats and violence and fighting, and uh, they had both talked to their lawyers. They were getting a divorce, right? So this was it. This was done. Shortly thereafter, and a little later on in August, Warren um, went to the Morton House Livery. And the Morton House, which still exists today, uh, at that time was owned by Mr. Pantland, who also owned the Pantland Hotel, which is still oh, yeah, attached okay. to the to the Amway. Um, so so he rented a, a carriage from the Morton House Livery and said, "Hey Virginia, I want you to go on this carriage ride." And apparently, she thought well enough of him to agree to the carriage ride. Maybe she thought, you know, this is it. We're gonna we're gonna remedy this. We're gonna we're gonna fix things. Um, but they didn't get far. The carriage uh, ended up at their house at the Judd White House. And they got in a fight. There was some conflict of some sort. Um, and and Warren became violent. And legend has it, Warren removed his wooden leg 
And he had gotten this wooden leg thanks to a railroad accident. Uh, he had slipped under a wheel, damaged his, his lower leg, and it was taken to St. Mary's Hospital where they they amputated it and outfitted him with, with a fake leg. So legend has it, you know, he took this wooden leg and, and bludgeoned her on the head. And, and then, as if that wasn't enough, he broke a gas fixture for a light and basically packed paper and things into all the cracks around the doors and the windows, basically sealed up this room, broke the gas fixture, and then cut himself on the neck with a shaving razor. In theory, he was committing suicide. So he had just committed a murder wow. and then and then had committed suicide. Um, days later, these bodies were found and they were so badly decomposed because of the gas exposure that they really knew who this was because his wooden leg was there. That's the rumor. Uh, someone killed his wife and then killed himself with a wooden leg. Um, that's how the rumor goes. So uh, the author of, of one of the books that's a really entertaining read uh, if you're in the mood for some spooky reads, Ghost of Grand Rapids, Nicole Bray did some research. And nothing made sense to her. Census records of 1910 showed no Warren or Victoria Randall, no employee at the railroad with that name, and no other supporting evidence. So she was kind of, her curiosity was piqued. She found a newspaper clipping that kind of helped unravel some truth to this tale. Uh, there was a man, and his name was Warren Rowland. And he, uh, so Rowland and Randall, allegedly the same person, Warren Rowland moved to Grand Rapids from Oakland, California. And Warren Rowland did work for the railroad. And in 1907, his leg was amputated after a railroad accident. So we're kind of starting to see some truth here. Uh, he met a, a young lady named Vashti Perry, and she was from Detroit. And they did get married. And her parents were not happy about it. It was one of those things where they thought, we don't like this. We're not going to give you our blessing. So they moved about town. They they didn't settle anywhere often. They didn't live for long. And again, they, had, they did have, in real life, a rocky marriage. And they did end up settling in the Judd White House for a period of time. And according to an article uh, in the Grand Rapids Herald, Neighbors heard arguments often. There was complaints. I'm guessing there was something like a police blotter, and they, they would read the complaints in there. Um, so shortly thereafter, Vashti, his wife, did again plan to leave Warren after he threatened her life, and apparently this happened often. And Warren did rent a buggy, and he did rent it from the Morton House Livery. He later returned it by himself. So that's kind of curious. Shortly after... Her family, Vashti's family, reported her missing. This went on for a few days. She was missing. Then there was a strong odor reported at the house. A gas company man uh, got sent down there to check it out because, I mean, a fire explosion could really happen. This was gas piped into a house, right? So he went floor by floor, room by room, and, and identified that, in fact... The gas probably was coming from one room, and the door was locked. 
and paper was pushed into the keyhole. The edges were sealed up. Mm. So they're they're getting a little weirded out, and it's kind of starting to run parallel to the legend. Several folks showed up, uh, including some officers. They eventually managed to get the door open after they stood on a chair and looked through some glass above the window. They saw some bodies. So they kind of panicked. Officers got involved, um, and they found two bodies. So all of a sudden, the rumor mill started going. Um, Folks gathered outside. They looked up at the window of the room, and and, uh, according to rumor, Warren had cut Vashti's throat um, and then had broken the gas fixture and then finally cut his own throat. But according to the coroner, uh, he did cut his throat. It wasn't deep enough to kill. And she appeared to have been drunk and mm-hmm. passed out. So the wooden leg was not used to beat her. Matter of fact, she didn't have any wounds on her body. So they do say, hey, she was drunk. She passed out. And then they both asphyxiated. He did not die from the cut. He died from the gas. Um Warren Rowland was unceremoniously buried in Garfield Park Cemetery. Um, Vashti was taken back to the east side by her family. Uh, so so that's the first incident with this house. Um, in 1923, so this was around 1907 to 1910, in 1923, several boarders rented space in the house. One person only stayed for 13 days before dying, and people don't know how he died. But as was customary, they put his body in the front room of the home, and shortly thereafter, a candle was left lit, and the body and coffin and some of the house was burned up. Mm. It's it's a weird house. Um, People near the building reported strange lights at weird times of the day. Kids would run by. Uh, because the place was haunted, they swore it. Um, so, so this this house has a weird history. Uh, a few years after that, 1924, it was demolished, and the Michigan Bell Building, which is now the AT&T Building, was built in its place. So, nothing changed really since 1924, up until 2012. Most recently, random reports of figures on the third floor. Um, both male and female, strange phone calls have been reported um, and prank phone calls back when you could have fun with a good prank phone call. Uh, <laughs> prank phone calls had been traced back to the building to floors that were not used. So the, the building definitely has some weird history and it's all kind of started around the turn of the century um, with Warren and Vashti. Wow. So really creepy story. Um, I don't know. That's cool that it was fact-checked, though. So it seemed to be a legend that was totally fake, but then the fact-check actually panned out, and the house is still creepy. The The building is still very creepy. And, and yeah, this, this book has been a really, really entertaining read. We're only going to scratch the surface. Strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, Ghosts of Grand Rapids by Nicole Bray and Robert Duchesne. Um, very creepy stories um this one's not very long and it's not really a story um it's just more of some creepy experiences um i've i've not 
personally experienced it, but I have heard stories from firefighters. Um, So the Chester Street Fire Station is the oldest continually operating fire station um, in the state of Michigan. It was built in 1902, and it's been in use since then. It sits on the corner of Chester and Diamond in East Hills. Um, beautiful brick building. If if you haven't seen it before, like just go drive by it. It's beautiful. Um, it's a it's a classic firehouse. It's a really cool building. Yeah, it really is. Um, and they repainted the doors the bright red. Uh, there's still a watchtower on there. Um, so if you if you go into this fire station, there has been. Um, I believe the kitchen was added on, but. Um, most of this information that I'm about to um, give that is spooky comes from historygrandrapids.org. Um, other incidences have come from stories that I've heard from firefighters and police officers. Um, and then I've personally just been inside the building. Um, so the, the the history there is so rich. Like if you go in there and you look at the staircase looking up, it's it's a wooden staircase and the wood is no longer straight. You can see where steps have been taken on every single step. Um, there's a pole, but firefighters would also, you know, they, the living quarters are upstairs. So you've got to take those stairs to get up and down to go to sleep. Um, in the back past the living quarters, past the dorm, is what people have described to me as Narnia. So it it just looks like a wall of cupboards, of wooden cupboards, but one of them actually leads to the hayloft. Um, And you can see the original doors in there where they've been bricked over, where they would throw the hay down to the horses. Um, So the spooky stuff, some members of the fire department will not be stationed there. They refuse to be stationed at Chester Street um, because of things that have happened. And some police officers won't stop in there to use the bathroom. Um, all historygrandrapids.org says is that people have seen a woman in white. Either it's a nightgown or a wedding dress. Um, and she sits at the edge of the young men's beds. Um, and I've been told by some of the firefighters that if I were to stay there, they, the spirit, if there is a spirit, it would not bother me because I'm a female. Um, and then there has also been a pair of children spotted, but only other children can see them. Um, I've, like I said, I've not had anything spooky happen. Um, but it's just a very old and kind of creepy building at night. I've, I've not been pat been there past like 11 30 p.m but there's one of our haunted fire stations yeah that's that's a great great potential for a haunted building it's it's a cool old building oh yeah I've, i've been there i've been past there uh when it's been super late and it's it's spooky i always walk a little quicker (laughs) (laughs) they call it the bat cave are there bats in there no, it's just um, each oh. of the stations has a has a different name, and Elevens is the Bat Cave. They oh, cool. uh, the front of their engine has a has a bat on it. Oh, that's cool. Oh, there's there's an old phone booth in there, um, in the bay area where the where they keep the fire engine, and there's a Batman costume hanging up in there. Oh it's wow, that's cool. <laughs> just in case. Is that still operated as a fire station? Yes. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. I'm I'm going to go. 
and I'm debating between two. I think we'll get to them both. So I'll start out with the spooky one, not kind of the creepy one. Um, again, this is from the book uh, Ghosts of Grand Rapids. So I'm going to do the Phillips Mansion. It, it was uh, it was built in, in 1864 by William Renwick, and it is on Prospect Avenue in, in Heritage Hill. In 1870, uh, Renwick sold it to Robert Loomis and his family, and they remodeled the home. They they added some some features and some p- bigger parts, living room things, things of that nature. I would guess that he probably made it the equivalent, the 1870 equivalent of open concept. I, I don't know that for sure. That's just what I suspect. So, um, Loomis and his family lived there uh, for about a decade, and then they sold it to uh, one James Phillips and his wife, Julia. And that was in 1880. And the Phillips family lived there for many good years. They had 12, 13 years of, of, of enjoyment. And then some weird things started happening and uh, never really stopped. Um, in, in 1893, the string of bad luck starts. Their, their 21-year-old daughter, Abby, dies in the house. And we don't know why, but she was buried in Oak Hill Cemetery. Uh, the family made adjustments. They kind of carried through. Um, they got through it. They adjusted as best you can. And then in 1912, uh, James dies from a massive heart attack in the house. He called for help. There was not much anyone could do. Um, so tragedy strikes again. And he is buried next to his daughter, Abby, also in Oak Hill Cemetery. Um, the wife is kind of done. She's over that house. So she sells it to her daughter's husband, her son-in-law, William Wallen. And that was also shortly after uh, James died, so roughly 1912. The Wallens uh, move in with their with their child, and in 1913, their four-year-old dies. No one really knows why. And that was a devastating blow. This house is still weird. It keeps going. In 1915, uh, they're ecstatic. William and Mabel are pregnant again, but Mabel delivers a stillborn baby, buried at Oak Hill Cemetery now. So this family can't escape these tragedies. And then in 1917, the matriarch dies. Julia passes away, also uh, buried at Oak Hill. That's it. This is too much for the Wallens. They too decide to sell the house shortly after uh, Julia dies. They sold it to one doctor, Fred Burleson, who was a doctor. But it gets weird. In 1927, Burleson's daughter-in-law, Mary, died in the house. Her family was uh, associated with Christian scientists, and no medicine was allowed. So even though there was a doctor in the house... No medicine was allowed. Um, no care could be sought, and uh, Mary died. So it keeps going. In 1934, a fire breaks out and burns much of the house. It's it's not habitable, and it it kind of takes a break for a minute. So what happens shortly thereafter, right around then in the 1930s, 
a group called the Spooksville Group would gather in Briggs Park, and they would just hang out and tell ghost stories on certain days. And they were known for it. People would come to Grand Rapids to hear the Spooksvilles. It's alleged by the group, according to them, that seances were held in this house. And so maybe that helps explain some of the evil or dangerous occurrences. Um, nobody knows that for sure. But then, in the 1970s, after the house had been repaired and sold and purchased, it was once again rented, as a lot of the Heritage Hill homes are. One of the renters had a number of paranormal experiences. Weird things would happen. Cold drafts would, would happen while she's under her blankets. There was things moved about in her room. Um, after a few of those experiences, her and her roommate moved out, and that took a little right around a year. They said, this is it. We can move somewhere that's not haunted. And so they did. Uh, shortly thereafter, in the 80s, the house was sold one more time that I'm aware of. And the new owner also had a number of paranormal experiences over the course of a number of years and apparently saw James Phillips several times, was actually able to identify uh, James Phillips. Oh. And one of the last times they saw him, he was uh, walking out the door. Wow. Not like opening the door and walking out it, but like an aberration, walking through, through the door. So, yeah, uh, kind of an interesting house with a lot of tragedy tied in with it. And makes sense to me why in the 70s, renters had paranormal experiences there. Wow. This is, you said, is it 432 Prospect? I don't have an exact address. Um, well, there's an MLife article with... Uh, titled A 111-Year-Old Mansion on Heritage Hill Hides Its History from 2017. Um, and if it is 432 Prospect, it's a beautiful home. I'm sure it's beautiful. And I'm, um, uh, this book does cite several newspaper articles. I just didn't necessarily in, uh, hit those sections. So there's tons of references. Um, again, I feel like I did a small book report on a few chapters, and that's about <laughs> it. I, uh, I like this one, though. I'm curious um, because there was quite a large indigenous population in Grand Rapids. I wonder how many of these hauntings have to do with um, being built on sacred ground. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that it that the city wasn't called the Valley, the Haunted Valley of the Grand for no good reason. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, entire hunting parties would vanish. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm looking at the area from an undeveloped perspective and all I see is a valley and a river um, and I'm hunting, perhaps I'm staying on top of the valley. Maybe I'm staying along that edge, which in essence is Heritage Hill. Who knows? Have either of you been in the uh, Masonic Temple? No. I have not. Just in the parking lot. It's it's uh, um, uh I think it was built in the 20s, um, but it's said to house the spirit of a past um, Freemason, and um, they have uh, an archives in the building um, that we've been able to tour, and they gave us a tour of the building, and it is, it is such a maze in there, and there are um, like mirrors 
placed in random, like around random corners, and like you think you're going up the steps, and then suddenly you find yourself on like a floor below. It's it's a trippy building. There, like there's, if you look at the outside of it, it looks like there should be a window there, but then when you go to that space in the building, there's no window. It's it's a trippy. It's a pretty. At night, it's a pretty spooky place. That's where they have um, the uh, uh, one of the escape rooms in town. The way that you're describing it sounds similar to, I think it was the Winchester house. I don't remember where that is, but this lady's husband died, the husband of the Winchester gun maker. And um, she built a bunch of like passages and stairways that led to nowhere and doors that oh, led to wow. nowhere so that... Um, ghosts would get confused or something like that that makes sense to me yeah ghosts I do can like, get easily confused i i do like a good secret passage so have either of you had what you would consider a personal experience with something that was weird or unexplained i have um it wasn't in grand rapids it was in the house that i grew up in um i think that counts okay um so the house has been in the family. My grandmother's sister and her husband and kids lived there. My great aunt died in the house, I believe in 1990. So before my time, um, she, I've seen pictures of her, um, but obviously I never met her in person. So, um, I was in the basement one day. My dad was at work and my mom was upstairs napping. Now, our basement, it, it's unfinished, but I had a playroom down there um, that was carpeted. And it was right, if, if you're coming down the stairs, it's right to the left of the stairs. And then next to that is my dad's office. So I had a chalkboard leaning against the stairs and I had I had a desk and a chair down there. So I would go down there and play school by myself or with friends. But I was I was down there by myself that day. And um, it was mid-afternoon. I was probably seven or so. And I'm writing on my chalkboard, being a teacher, and I see something out of the corner of my eye, and I look over and I see a woman going from the um, south end of the basement all the way to the north end into my dad's office. And I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. I just keep writing on my chalkboard. A couple minutes later, I see something again and I look over and this person goes from my dad's office to back to the opposite end of the house. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's really weird. A little while later, I go upstairs to talk to my mom after she had woken up from her nap. And I said, hey, mom, what did Aunt Rosie look like? And she describes her to me. And I said, well, I just saw her in the basement. Um, this apparition had short, dark brown curly hair. She was wearing a light blue T-shirt and blue jeans. And um, I've never seen it again. A couple, like one other thing has happened in that house um, where I would be sitting on the living room couch and th there's a picture window that leads out to the front, the front yard. You can see the mailbox in the road. Um, I would see like an apparition of a black Jeep pulling up to the house. Well, nobody in the house had ever owned a black Jeep. 
until my mom bought one in 2008. And this happened years before 2008. So those are my two personal experiences just from my parents' house. Um, but I've never had anything else happen to me. Those are solid experiences. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty spooky. Was was your mom freaked out? I think she was more freaked out that I wasn't freaked out because <laughs> I, I it was just so nonchalant. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just saw Aunt Rosie in the basement. <laughs> um, I did have an imaginary friend as a kid. And I read years later that kids are more apt to see spirits. So I don't know if it truly was an imaginary friend or if I had a little ghost girl running around with me. But <laughs> I ditched her in my grandparents' treehouse. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> she um, might still be there. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's something about basements. Um, I I had, and this is like the only, the only time where I would say yes, this was weird, uh, when it comes to experience like that. Um, I lived in an old house uh, near Wealthy and Benjamin, so kind of uh, right there in East Town. And I'm sure there's a lot of weird things that have happened in that area. It's East Town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, our, our laundry machines were in the basement, and uh, no big deal, right? You go downstairs, you do your laundry, you come back upstairs. It's a classic basement like you would find in any old house in that area. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a damp, dark, unfinished basement, but that's where your laundry is. Perfect. Um, so I went down to switch loads or something of that nature, and I, I swear... I saw an old couple, like 70s, 80s, an old couple dressed in real old-timey garb, lacy-ish dress, you know, uh, like a brownish suit. And they were downstairs, and they left through the basement wall. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Uh, (laughs) Right? Because that happened. I don't think there was, like, a gas leak down there. I wasn't on... (laughs) any kind of influencing medicines or anything of that nature. And uh, a few months later, my my other one of my roommates and I, we were sitting out on the porch and I just happened to mention it. I was like, oh yeah, by the way, this happened. And her face froze and she said, you've got to be kidding me. And then described, I said, yeah, I saw an old couple in the basement. Face froze. Wow. And she said, did they look like this and went on to describe them and i said they did so she had seen them months before i had seen them it's just not maybe a common thing you'd start you're like ah i'm gonna pretend like maybe that didn't happen so we grabbed our third roommate and uh and said so this happened to us have you seen anything like that and her eyes lit up and she said oh my gosh I'm so glad you said something about that because I felt like maybe I was losing my mind. She woke up in the middle of the night and saw the same couple at the foot of her bed. Yikes. And her room was directly above the laundry space. Oh, my God. Um, None of us felt threatened. Uh, None of us felt in danger or anything of that nature. It was more like they were trying not to be seen and to get away from us, but very creepy. Um, as far as I can remember and recall that that's a true story. And, um, yeah, on three different occasions, we, we saw 
what probably is the same couple. So I hope they're doing okay. I hope that whatever they needed, they got. And uh, maybe they were doing laundry. I don't know. Maybe they threw threw in some whites when I wasn't looking. They were probably more scared of you than you were of them. That's what they say. That's what they say. Did you ever do any research on the house to see who may have lived there? I never did. Okay. Maybe I'll maybe I'll touch base with Matt. Uh, yeah. La- later on, see what we can find. So I don't have a spooky ghost story per se, but I do have a, a spooky um, story. Uh, I went to um, camp when I was in grade school. Um, it was uh, on Lake Michigan, and. Uh, it was like it was like a week long. Um, we uh, slept in these like tents that were um, kind of on um, like a wooden platform. But one night, the counselors decided um, that we would all go down to the beach to uh, sleep um, on the sand dunes, and. When we got there, they they lit a big fire and everyone was sitting around the fire, um, and they started telling this story of how the campground was actually the site of a cult back in the day, and um, they're de- detailing this and they're uh, they're playing it up uh, and. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody screams, and on the rim of the sand dune is a figure dressed in a black cloak. And then, like people are like pointing and going, "What? Who's that? Who's that?" And then, on the other side, another figure pops up in a black cloak, and the counselors are like, okay, we got to get everybody out of here. We got to get everybody out of here. And so they walk us through, back through the woods to the tents. And I'm freaking out. I, I do not handle scary stuff well. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and, um, so every, they, they get everybody in their individual tents. And then they're like, okay, everybody has to be really quiet. Everybody has to be really quiet. And the figures in the black cloaks start walking past all of the tents and then like they're like oh oh no but what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and then one of the black uh, cloaked figures like like jumps into the tent and it turns out to be one of the uh, counselors oh no <laughs> so it's just so the prank. whole thing was a setup yeah but it was terrible Boy. Yeah, absolutely. You're like it, it. It wasn't a setup for an hour and a half, right? <laughs> that right. was reality. That's a good one. I like that. Do we have any more personal anecdotes? Maybe kind of. My wedding or our, our wedding was at uh, was held at the Felt Mansion uh, in the Sagatuck, South Holland area, and it's it's listed on every top ten haunted places in Michigan. Um, Dorfelt is the man's name. He was who who built it. He was born in Wisconsin. Uh, he built the mansion for his wife Agnes, and um, 
It was finished in 1928. He built it with calculator money. He he invented something mm-hmm. called the comptometer and the comptograph. And, and I don't know what those are, but my grandfather uh, at the wedding said, I remember buying a comptometer and it made my business so much easier. So <laughs> apparently this was a really uh, an awesome thing. Um, his wife, Agnes, died in August, uh, just a few weeks after they had moved in. And it's a it's a big mansion, um, twelve thousand ish square feet, I believe, if I if I recall correctly. It's three stories. Um, it's a, a giant building, beautiful. Um, Dor himself died a few years later in 1930, and and the the mansion went into to disrepair, and uh, rumors of melon heads started popping up and they're little small humanoids, you know, with, with giant heads uh, that would occasionally attack people. Um, that's the rumor, right? They'd, they'd show up in, in the woods. And there have been other sightings of melon heads uh, around the country. I think maybe Connecticut and, uh, and some other areas. Um, as it turns out, there there might have been an asylum that was near the mansion. And they think that some folks speculate that it could have been some of these kids who were living in this asylum that had hydrocephalus. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to the county's records, that that asylum never existed. Um, but folks speculate that maybe these these kids escaped abuse and uh, fled into the woods, and then that they supposedly killed the doctor that was doing the abusing, and. Uh, Cut them into pieces and put them in the mansion. Well, yuck. We we did not have any creepy experiences there like that, but there was a Santa Claus figure tucked away in one of the closets, and someone opened the closet and was very startled. It, <laughs> it was creepy. It was very creepy. So, um, yeah, that's that's my other almost a ghost story experience. I completely forgot that this happened and it happened like on Labor Day weekend of this year. Um, I went up to the Grand Canyon with my boyfriend and we stayed in the Grand Canyon. I believe it's called the Grand Canyon Hotel in Williams. It's not the one that the train is associated with. This one is the oldest hotel I believe, in operation in Arizona. Um, It was built in the 1890s, and it's also said to be haunted. And I read that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to stay here. That sounds so cool. And it is a a beautiful two-story hotel. It's right on Route 66. Um, All the decorations in there are their timepieces, old-looking furniture, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. Um, there's no elevator, just stairs to get up there. There's a carriage building, um, which is where I believe it's said to be the most haunted in the World War II room. But um, we stayed in a room in the main hotel, and um, there's like a, there was like an old tattered dress hanging on the wall. And I, I, before we went to sleep, I said... I really hope none of these objects are haunted. <laughs> and um, we went to sleep and we left the window open. It was supposed to get down into the 50s. There was no air conditioning. So we wanted to cool the room down. 
and there was a window fan in the room. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night because the window fan had turned off. And I said, oh, that's weird. Maybe we lost power. Well, then the window fan came back on. And then it went off. And it Ooh. went on. And it kept turning on and off. It scared the crap out of me. I couldn't get comfortable enough to fall asleep. So I got up to use the bathroom. And um, my boyfriend woke up. And he got up to do something with the fan. And I said what's wrong? And he goes, Oh, I just, I had the fan on a setting where it would turn off if it got to a certain temperature. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and I said, I've been laying here oh, no. for an hour <laughs> thinking that this room is haunted and a ghost <laughs> is turning this fan on and off. <laughs> so, um, I'm like, finally like getting ready to fall asleep and I keep hearing creaking and I, I okay. I can, I can maybe see that would come from outside of the room if somebody was walking in the hall but what i can't explain is hearing a very clear clap in the middle of the night mm. um did not sound like wood on wood it sounded like skin on skin and it sounded like it came from this weird locked closet that was in our room it definitely scared me that again valid completely valid <laughs> Just like Matt's experience in the dunes. <laughs> yep. That's that's fair. Okay. So this is the kind of sad one. Uh and it and it it's it explains itself. Um so in the eighteen fifties and probably a little before there there were what would cut were called poor farms around Michigan. And uh Kent County had a poor farm. And it was uh roughly eighty acres on 32nd Street between Kalamazoo and Breton. And over the years, hundreds of people uh, lived there. They worked the farm. Um, and and it gets... There was also some some treatments done there. And, and these treatments were not done by the most skilled professionals. As a matter of fact, for medical care, low bidders won these contracts. And um, a lot of these these people who lived there died just because they didn't have access to basic medical care. Um, it, it was really not a great place. The title "a poor farm" should have uh, mm -hmm. should have kind of implied that um, there were very poor conditions, abusive conditions in some poor houses around Michigan. For instance, Ingham County had pictures of chains on the beds and walls. Uh, we don't know for sure those were used in Ingham County. They were probably there for a reason. And we don't know that those conditions existed in Kent County. But regardless, um, it was not a great place to have to live. And everyone was poor. Uh, as these people died due to lack of basic medical care, um, mass graves or unmarked graves were used. And there were, there were also reports of people just being buried, right? So they were buried without caskets. Wow. And, and poor farms all had cemeteries in or near them. And, uh, we'll get to that cemetery name in just a second, because I think it's 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 there. Uh, 
it, so so this space was open for a number of years and 60 or 70 years later in the 1920s medical schools started paying a lot of money for for cadavers right and and no one really knows because there were there was poor record keeping poor grave sites if any grave sites mass graves and un, unmarked graves um it's been alleged that a lot of these patients who passed away might have been sold for medical research. Yeah, um, well. So, so this space starts to create this haunted, not pleasant um, environment, right? So you can kind of see that it makes sense why maybe there was some paranormal activity here. Um, in the 1950s, Kent County renamed it uh, Maple Grove Medical Facility, and Maple Grove Cemetery exists. And there's not a lot of gravestones, and there are a lot of small depressions in the dirt where bodies were buried without caskets. Wow. Um, in 1972, during construction for the Calvin Christian Retirement Home, 15 bodies were uncovered about 50 feet away from the cemetery boundary, and it included children. Wow. So we don't know for sure that, that these are folks who lived in the poorhouse they may have been a family who lived on site before this was you know before the 1850s um but still uh unsettling not pleasant um but real life um in the early 2000s a number of ghost hunters had uh several paranormal experiences including smelling overwhelming stench and hearing uh and hearing male voices on some audio recordings that they did wow. and uh there's there's some other creepy twists uh again the book uh ghosts of grand rapids uh really does do a great job at going through all of these stories um and so while that's not like a spooky story like it is spooky but it's yeah. it's kind of a sad story mm -hmm. and uh that's why i didn't want to end on that one Hey, Dana, if you're listening, and I know you are, um, you might want to check your mom's house for ghosts now because that was right across the street. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> when you yeah. said 32nd between Kalamazoo and Breton, I'm like, oh, Dana. Oh, no. We need an update on that. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll see if she texts me as soon as she listens to this episode. Okay. Yeah. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Sorry. Was that one? Was that one even considered spooky? That was almost just like. I, th I think that was spooky. Well, it's a little I spooky. Was, yeah, I think it it's spooked me. And it's and it's real life. Like, that, I, I'm imagining. I didn't Google, but I'd imagine the cemetery is still there. So. Uh, it, it is on Google Maps. Yes. Yeah. I'd say it was in 2011. So. Wow. I wonder Creepy. if the residents of the uh, retirement home have have had any paranormal experiences. I think that we would be better off asking staff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to know too many more details about that one. But All right, Matt, what's your... Uh, where are we going to now? Uh, let's go to uh, Sanchez. Delicious. Yum. Um, so that is uh, 38 West Fulton, um, also known as the Leonard Building, um, built in 1844 uh, by Mr. Leonard. Um, it was a uh, originally a grocery store, 
um, but in 1872, he had a stroke, and his uh, two sons, uh, Charles and Frank, took over. Um, they transitioned into making and selling uh, refrigerators in the 1880s, um, and then uh, shortly after that, their father uh, passed away and was buried in Fulton Street Cemetery. The, the sons later sold the building, and, and the original business folded, um, and the, the building uh, became vacant for, for many years. Um, and then the Sanchez Bistro opened um, in that space um, after it had been vacant. Um, and uh, people have, have seen a uh, female ghost um, roaming the, the hallway. Um, the uh, in the late uh, hours of the night and and in the a.m. Uh, apparently pots and pans and uh, rattles and bangs um, can can be heard throughout the building and um, it seems that the third floor um, makes people feel a bit uneasy and so there might be some paranormal paranormal activity happening happening up there. Wow! So it. It, it could be Mr. Leonard. It could be perhaps Charles and Frank's mom. We don't really know. Or maybe an angry customer who uh, didn't <laughs> get their correct food order. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, our refrigerator's crap. <laughs> who, who knows? I would imagine that any refrigerator made in the 1880s. Uh, <laughs> Probably not the best. Couldn't have been that great, right? That makes sense. Um, has anyone been to the Fulton Street Cemetery and, and, and looked for for any neat graves? Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, assignment when I was at Aquinas college to, um, go through the cemetery and pick a grave to research. Um, and I ended up researching, um, Oh, I think it was the, it was the last name of Pierce. Um, and, that's my mom's um, last name, my mom's maiden name, and so I was I was really curious about it, and it turns out that they had lived on the property that um, Mary Freebed was built on top of. Um, oh, yeah, but it's it's a neat cemetery. It's it's it, the oldest cemetery in the city, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got some we've got some neat cemeteries. Um. Maybe uh, maybe one point we'll we'll do a strolling tour where we that'd be cool. Walk through with some some wireless microphones and I interview. Would love that. Yeah, so would I. I would. Uh, <laughs> I would yeah, we'd. I think we'd all like to be able to go out in public and do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we're downtown. Downtown is not. That's not the only spookyish story. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, where Van Andel's parking lot is now, there once was the Union train station. And from the night, from 1900 until 1961, when it was torn down, um, it was a very busy spot in town. Uh, it's a railroad station, right? It's, it's, it's our, our precursor to, to transportation it's it's where all the Ubers would have been. <laughs> um, several of the buildings that exist in that area were were once hotels. Um, 
58 Ionia was the 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 Crathmore, and that is now home to Max's South Seas Hideaway. Uh, the old McFadden's. Um, mm. It's got gargoyles on top of the building. I mean, it's kind of kind of spooky to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in 1889, there was a house built there. The Hanson House was built there, and uh, it was renamed the Crathmore when uh, Charles and Lewis Mertens purchased that hotel and uh the the merton's name has been revived by uh merton's prime uh a wonderful french restaurant kitty corner basically adjacent to these spaces um it was a very nice hotel the Crathmore was and uh weird things happened there uh one one story is that in 1906 uh, a 22-year-old Polish immigrant worked in the hotel. Her name was Mary Kroll. It's spelled weird because it's Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, she became pregnant by a man uh, who lived on the west side of town. Um, he said, that's that's not my baby. It became a whole thing. Um, she didn't speak English well. She didn't have friends or family in the area. And, and she grew tragically desperate. And she ended up um, jumping to her death out of the third story window there. Um, Yikes. There's there's a number of other stories about this hotel. Um, it's it's creepy. It's definitely a spooky, spooky history. Um, directly next to that building is at 64 Ionia was the American house. And that's where Ritz Coney was. And I believe Luna uh, oh, okay. is there now, which is delightful. Um the Mertens also purchased that uh, in 1909, and it was renamed the Judd Building. And it is home to Grand Rapids' oldest unsolved murder that we're aware of. So in in March, uh, in 1938, in general, this building had had a business on the first floor and a building a business on the third floor. And there was no businesses. No one was on the second or fourth floor. And uh, what what they referred to as a beautiful young lady, uh, 19-year-old Mina Decker, was, was an assistant on the third floor. And she was found badly beaten up. She had been pretty severely attacked. They found... Uh, a piece of her skull on the scene. So she was, she was in rough shape and she passed away a few hours later at St. Mary's. Um, the Grand Rapids Herald said there was about four suspects. One of the, uh, one of the suspects was John Schaefer, who was her ex, uh, boyfriend, Mina's ex-boyfriend. And then another suspect that they named was Calvin DeBlay, who was a delivery driver who was seen in the space. Um, there was not enough evidence to bring charges, and uh, obviously the cri- crime remains unsolved. And uh, she was interred at Restalon Cemetery. Mina was. Wow. So, yeah, um, it, it's kind of an interesting. It's an interesting story that certainly is. Is we're just touching on some of the the brief points of it, but um, yeah, it really creepy, spooky things. So. Um, and then the next building, the third hotel, uh, was 70 Ionia. And then that was the Wellington Hotel, which is now some office buildings. And like I said, it's an alley away from uh, Merton's Prime. Um, 
spooky things happened in those hotels. Spooky things still happen in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, folks have reported weird things at McFadden's when it was McFadden's at Ritz County. Um, yeah, downtown has uh, has some good spook stories. I have a spooky story. It's not quite downtown. It's a little bit north um, on Leonard Street. What most people know as the Mitten Brewing Company on Leonard um, used to be a fire station. It was Engine House Number 9. It was decommissioned in 1966, um, and then... uh, before that, it served as an office building and apartment complex for 46 years. Um, it was acquired by Chris Andrus and Max, I can't pronounce his last name, Trierweiler in 2012. Um, and according to mittenbrewing.com forward slash ghost hyphen files, it's pretty haunted. So things began happening uh, during renovations in 2012. Um, One night, Chris left at around 2 a.m. and came back the next morning to find footprints in the lobby that had been left after mopping the floor. Um, he, He was there by himself. Nobody was there when he left. Nobody was there when he got there. Nobody had entered the building that night. They turned out to be children's footprints, and they all pointed in different directions with no clear walking path. Um, and they just kind of showed up like they, the, the child didn't walk to where those footprints were and then leave. They just appeared. Um, and then two years later in 2014, while tearing down an original wall uh, to reclaim the wood to repurpose it for the bar top, a white footprint was discovered on the wood. Um, the wood that it was on hadn't seen the light of day in 126 years. So wow. I guess 2014 minus 126, if you can do that quick math, I can't. Um, Pass. <laughs> so the wood hadn't been seen in 126 years. Um, And the footprint was the exact same size as the ones found in the lobby two years prior. Um, So it was a children's size footprint. The wood is now sealed and permanently part of the bar top. And there's a couple photos online where you can see um, the bar top. Or if you just go there and visit, you can see the footprint on the wood. Wow. Um, 1888 is, I guess, the answer. So there have also been noises heard as well as shadows and apparitions in the front room and motion lights by the bathroom have gone off while no one else is around and patrons have also sensed things. Uh, Nobody's sure who or what the presence might be, but there are some possibilities, including a former engine house number nine firefighter who died in the line of duty. Um, And then the Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters spent a night there. I am not sure when, but there are a few EVP recordings from an overnight at the brewery on um, the website that I mentioned earlier. Wow, that's really cool. What's EVP? Electronic voice presence, question mark. Um, If you've ever watched a, a, a Ghost Hunters or something, it's this device that basically record static and it picks up electronic noises that you might not be able to hear with like the naked ear yeah we've covered a lot of ground what other places that are said to be haunted for sure saint cecilia's music center Mm -hmm. um 
that's that's definitely got some creepy history. Uh, the wealthy theater supposedly has some some creepiness. Um, any other spaces where we're missing? Uh, the Amway, the Amway Grand, uh, wh- or, or maybe just the Pantland. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been some some really creepy stories uh, told about there. All right, so I think we're going to end it with with a spooky story in, in Heritage Hill. And this is from the book Ghosts of Grand Rapids, which I've mentioned a number of times now. Great read. A lot of spooky, a lot of creepy. Um, this one's a little spooky, and it's it's about the Gibbons home. Uh, Christopher Gibbons and his wife purchased a home in Heritage Hill in 2004. Um, it's it's to me, I can identify with him because he probably purchased it the only way he could by buying a fixer upper, right? So it was in a, a state of disrepair, and they they needed to really be redone. But he said, "I'm going to do this. We're willing to fix this up." So he uh, had a day job and worked on it after work. And he updated the electrical, he updated the plumbing. Um, and as he was working on electrical, uh, and this was like maybe the first week, right? He uh, shut the lights off at night and locked up. And while he was backing out of the driveway, he saw that a light had been turned back on. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's not good, but I'm not going back in there. I'm just going to leave it be. So he did. And uh, and work continued. And he made some real progress. And they ended up moving in shortly thereafter. Um, both he and his wife felt a little uneasy most of the time. Strange taps, noises, things like that happened. And they were both uncomfortable. But then his kids started seeing faces in the windows. <gasps> scary. And... And they spotted a man wearing a suit walking down the hallway. And he was spotted a number of times. And they described him as being tall, thin, and maybe in his 40s-ish. And uh, one of his sons was, was, was practicing guitar. And so he's playing this guitar. And he hears a strange clapping that's matching the beat of the music he's playing. Oh, no. And, and this doesn't stop. Chris begins to have like these really intense lucid dreams and things are near him and by him and it's too much. And I, I get it. I can identify with that. Uh, I don't blame him at all. He contacted a priest. The priest was like, Hmm, why don't you just ignore it? And also I will not visit the home. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, he did what he thought he could do. He proposed a truce, basically. He's like, listen, you guys, you can live in the attic and you can live in the back of the house, but you need to leave my family alone. And I think that's probably the best approach that you could take if your house is haunted, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Work something out. <laughs> do your thing. We'll do ours. Let's not interact. And that worked for some time. Uh, but then Chris woke up from one of these dreams with a face hovering over him. And he's like, it was a white face with sunken eyes. Uh, it creeped him out. And then his kids said, yeah, we, we had the same thing happen. Nope. So they're, they're nearing the edge of their, their rope. Uh, his wife, and this is where it gets super creepy. Uh, his wife 
was down in the basement laundry room, which rings strangely familiar to me. Um, <laughs> she saw that same tall, thin man in his 40s brutally like attacking this young girl. And that was it. They said, we've tried calling the priest. He wouldn't even come over. So they contacted a female shaman. And the shaman said, yeah, for sure. I can sense this guy in the basement. Wow. Like, that's where he's probably home basing, which is why when you said the attic, he didn't stay up there because the basement's his. So they performed rituals. They worked things out, they thought. And for a time, everything worked out. But that is not the end of the story. And actually, Chris wrote a novella. And you can read about his whole experience at trespassnovella.com and it is fascinating and I don't want to I don't want to ruin it for anyone who <laughs> might want to finish it but that's not where things ended let's put it that way so definitely a haunted house definitely when your kids are involved I would imagine that's where you need to draw the line mm-hmm. so super creepy the whole family weirded out um, again heritage hill creepy creepy stuff well, that's definitely a note a, for me. Yeah, def, <laughs> definitely a creepy neighborhood for sure. Um, if anybody wants to check out some of the creepy and haunted places in Grand Rapids, you can go to um, experiencegr.com uh, and there is some information on the Grand Rapids Ghost Tour. Um, it's a walking tour, starts and ends at the library. Uh, and there's some links on that website for... Um, uh, times and dates. Yeah, it seems like a really cool, uh, really cool tour. Every time I've tried to to take that tour, which has been maybe a total of five, I always do it too late, and it's booked up every single time. There were a couple ghost tours in Grand Rapids yesterday and today on Halloween, but they're both sold out. Yeah, I'm terrible about about booking those in advance. Um, I have also never done the graveyard tours, which happen regularly. Those are fun. I, I like those ones. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I did it, it was delightful. <laughs> Jealous yet? Maybe. Yeah. What's your uh, What's uh, your favorite Halloween candy? Ooh. Like trick or treat candy? Yeah. Hmm. I I don't know that I need that I can I don't know if I can segment candy consumption to just a Halloween candy because if I like candy I'm just gonna eat it <laughs> so so I I enjoy a, a solid Reese's uh, peanut butter cup okay okay oh yeah those were always pretty rare in my candy bucket but occasionally I'd get those or a full candy bar I never went trick or treating as a child really what. Yeah. No, I, I I have a large extended family and we would all get together as an extended family. And while well, my grandfather took us on hayrides, which were delightful, um, folks would stay back and make bags of candy for all of us. So we had, you know, paper sandwich bags full of candy. So nice. much less work. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what's your favorite? Um, I liked the... Um... It was like a Tootsie Roll, but like with different flavors. Oh, yeah. Those are Yeah, cool. I really like those. But I, like, I had no idea where to get them outside of Halloween. It's time to get the five pound bag. I mean, yeah, yeah I got to stock up. 
recommend ration. Yeah. I'm having a spooky um, spooky day today by making some Halloween treats and watching some non-horror Halloween movies because <laughs> I don't like scary things. Uh, jump scares are not for me, so that's more what this, I'm doing. More of the psychological uh, thrill. Is that what you're looking for? Um, I do like the psychological thrill movies, like something like Shutter Island, but um, no, I'm talking like Disney Channel originals.